I'm really grateful to God that we get to be here together because we're going to open the Bible and see something that I wasn't, I wasn't really looking for. Like, I love that we preach through passages of the Bible because it forces us to actually look at the Bible and not just assume we already know, we've read it before, ho-hum, but actually look and go, God, what do you have for us? What are you trying to say to us? What are you trying to show us about yourself that changes us? So God's got you here for a reason, and I'm excited to open Romans 5. Um, are we live streaming at all? No? Okay, cool. Oh, okay. We're recording audio, so I've got to be um, mindful. Okay, great. Um, if we haven't met, I'm Nathan. I'm on staff at Veritas. I do adult ministry stuff. Um, love being here with you guys. And tonight, we're going to be in Romans 5, 6 through 11, um, second week of this Romans 5 series, and we're going to talk about having a real relationship with God. Someone say relationship. relationship. There's this interesting thing where, where I'm kind of assuming that you came tonight because you either have a relationship with God or you want a relationship with God. And, and if you don't find yourself in either of those categories, that's okay. You're, you're totally welcome here. But even as, as you get to know who the God of the Bible is, there's this weird thing where the more you get to know about him, even if you don't want to be a Christian, you kind of can't help like wanting to know him. It's, it's this really strange thing that when you actually begin to grapple with the reality of who God is, you want to want him even if you don't want him now. When you find out that he is kind and loving and truthful and faithful and just and good, there's something inside of you that begins to, to like open up a little bit. I, I don't want to be too like mystical, but, I, but part of what I'm trying to say is every single person was built to be in relationship with God. This isn't some um, weird thing that we just started making up recently. This is the core of Christianity. And it's what makes Christianity different than any other religion. Other religions might talk about a God interacting with you, but Christianity is the only religion that has this central aspect of a deep, personal relationship with God where you can know him. He actually tells you what he's like, who he is, not as a faraway, kind of angry God on a mountain, but a God that came close to be with us. That's what God is like. So what does a person look like that has a relationship with God? What, do, what does that look like? Maybe someone who comes to Salt on a snowy night, right? We have a real relationship with Jesus. Come on, baby. Um, maybe, you, maybe you're thinking of a person who would read their Bible all the time. They pray all the time. Like, that person's got to have a relationship with God. They go to church every Sunday, whatever. But, but as we think about having a relationship with God, here's, here's a really sticky fact. I don't know if this is true of you, but, but the more that I try really hard to get to know God and to get close to God, the more I see I'm really bad at it. Like the more I think about how amazing God's word is, the more I realize I don't actually like, read it as often as I should, the way I should, whatever. When I hear about prayer, and, and Jordan and I got to speak on Sundays um, like a month ago about prayer, even studying that, I'm like, dude, I do not pray. I don't pray the way that I want to. I don't pray the way that I should. Even as I try to pursue God and do these things to get a relationship with him, I come up short. And on my best days, like my absolute best efforts are shot through with selfishness, with pride, with insecurity, with, with looking at myself. So I'm like trying to go on a relationship, get a relationship with God, and I keep coming back to me, me, me. And maybe you even read the Bible that way. 
Like you read the Bible primarily looking for what the Bible says about you, not what it says about God. This thing that is supposed to help you with the relationship with him, you can't get your eyes off yourself. It'd be like if you went on a date with someone and you didn't let them talk at all because you had a lot you needed to say. And every time they, they tried to open someone and be like, no, no, ask me another question. I have a little bit more you need to know, right? That would be ridiculous. Would they go on a second date with you? No way. And if some of you were like, I've been on that date. I didn't go on a second one. Yeah, I feel you. I get it. Or maybe you're like, yeah, that's me. Okay, woof. Um, Every single person was designed to have a relationship with God. And it seems like the more that we try and the more that we look at ourselves, the more we realize we are really bad at it. And not just bad, we're we're actually counterproductive where I, I try really hard and I end up sinning. And sin is stuff that is opposite of God's character and nature. So even as I'm trying to get close to him, I'm I'm stiff-arming him and pushing him away. Because we have a really big problem. People that need relationship with God are actually really terrible at having relationship with God. And no matter how much we work, we can't seem to solve that. Romans 5, 6 through 11 is going to address this problem for us. And let me just tell you now, the solution isn't just you trying harder or even you comparing yourself to other people to see if you can stack up in God's books. That's not how it works. But Paul is going to tell the church in Rome the answer that that we actually desperately, desperately need, that I'm praying unlocks a new reality in your relationship with God. Like actually takes a relationship, if you don't have one, helps you get one. And if you do have one, takes it to the next level. That's a lot to offer, but um, let's, let's try to go there. Romans 5, starting in 6, uh, verse 6. Paul is going to talk us through the past and the future and then back to the present to, to, to help us understand what, how to solve this problem. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Someone say weak. Paul's not saying, like, we've got to go to the gym more, okay? He's talking about being like morally unable to do what God's asking us to do. Like the strength of will or kind of moral ability, it's like you're weak, you can't do it. So, so that weak analogy is like lifting spiritual weight, right? Trying to lift the weight of, of fighting against sin, something like that. He's saying while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Someone say ungodly. Ungodly is the opposite of, of what God is like. If God is this source of love and truth and peace and justice, Paul is saying Jesus died for people that are are not like that at all. Verse 7, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person would dare even to die. I just got to define a couple terms in there. When he's saying righteous, he's talking about someone who's like right by the standards and the rules. So he's saying, okay, you wouldn't really die for someone who seems to be kind of doing the stuff they should do. Like if if I came up to you and said, man, I went to church like seven Sundays. I I read my Bible the last seven days of the week. Would your response be like, dude, I'm going to take a bullet for you, dog. I got you. You've been showing up to church my life for your life, man. I've got your back, right? No, you'd be like, okay, good for you. Great. Keep going, right? Do your thing, whatever. But that doesn't inspire you to go, I need to give my life for you. And when he says good here, he, he's, he's using a term in Roman culture to talk about someone who's like a benefactor. So they would use their influence and their money to help other people out. 
We kind of have an analogy to this a little bit when it comes to like bodyguards or people who literally put their life on the line for someone else because of their, their position, their status, whatever. Like secret service agents. This is their whole MO, right? I'm gonna take a bullet for the president. Not necessarily because the president is morally upstanding or whatever. It's not about their character. It's about the office and the position and the public good. So Paul is saying, okay, if someone is doing the religious stuff that they're supposed to do, you'd scarcely die for them. Like, you're not going to give your life for them. It doesn't doesn't inspire you to give your life. And maybe even there's some people who are doing a lot of good, and so someone would give their life. But but let's be real. For some folks doing that that noble task of, of secret service, whatever, they might really dislike the person they're actually working for. Administrations change, politics change, and so... So their job might be to take a bullet for them, but they might, again, not even like or, or respect the person that they're working for. We can sometimes slip into a mindset of Jesus died for me because I'm worth it. Like Jesus died for me because I'm the president and he's secret service. I got something to offer the God of the universe, right? Like, like man, why wouldn't he die for me? Is, is that really what Paul's comparing us to? Look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us. This is where God's love shows up. If you want to see what God's love looks like, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The kinds of people that God loves and gives himself to, the plan of all of eternity where he would send his son It was for people that had stiff-armed and rejected and pushed God away. That's where God's love shows up. So what Paul is trying to tell the church in Rome and tell us too is that, that in your past, if you're in Jesus, the only reason you got there is because of God. He wasn't waiting for you to be good enough. He wasn't waiting for you to clean up your act. He wasn't waiting for you to just be trying hard enough before he would love you. He looks at you at your absolute lowest your worst, and running away from him. And he says, I want to show you how much I love you. Because of him, not because of you. The beginning of a relationship with God starts with God, not us. And, and that might be a difficult fact to swallow. In fact, you might not be a Christian because you've been trying really hard to be a good enough person to be a Christian. <laughs> The invitation from just these first couple of verses is to, to stop trying to prove yourself to God or anyone else and accept the fact that God actually wants to show you his love because of him, not because of you. If you're waiting to be lovely enough to be loved by God, you've got it backwards. Let him show you how much love he actually has for you, again, because that's what he's like. And Christians, tonight, let me just tell you what this breeds in our life when we look at our past and how we got saved. What this breeds in us is humility. Guys, I'm a screw-up. There is no reason why God should love me. Jamie knows stories that he's not going to tell you because he's a godly dude, but like, there is absolutely nothing I bring to the table. God didn't save me because he needs me in his kingdom or because I was good enough for him. And, and if you're a Christian, that is the same thing for you too. You're not a big deal. (laughs) And that's exactly the point. God is so good that he looks at screw-ups and little deals like us, and he says, man, I love you. 
and I want you to be mine. And the plan from eternity past is to send Jesus to make you his. So if that's true, is there anyone in your life that, that is too bad to hear the gospel? Like, is there anyone in your life that's so far gone that God could never love them? Is there anyone that, that you have been waiting for them to just clean up a couple things in their life before you invite them to, to Saul or to hear about Jesus? Praise God, he wasn't doing that to you. <laughs> the beginning of a relationship with God is because of God. That breeds humility in us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's the past that, that Paul begins talking about. Now he's going to go to the future. Let's jump to the future in verses 9 and 10. A little time travel. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Okay, there's a lot going on there, right? There's lots of hymns and, and, and situations happening, and it took me a while of just like reading commentaries to figure out what's going on here. Paul is making kind of an argument from, from something bigger to something smaller, okay? And he, he's making an argument that runs something kind of like this. You see the word justified in verse 9? Someone say justified. justified. All right, Gospel 101, lesson 5, right? Justification, instantaneous legal act of God by which... God declares our sins forgiven on the basis of Christ's work, and we're now righteous. Right, Jenny? Did I get it there? It's, it's, the, it's this great exchange where Jesus says, hey, I'll take yours and you can take mine. I'll take the punishment you deserve, and I'll, in exchange, give you relationship with God that I earned. That's what justification is. It's this moment that, that Jesus trades those things out. So that happens when you become a Christian, right? You are justified. You stand right before God. That's a beautiful thing. So he says, okay, we've now been justified by his blood. Jesus was the final sacrifice, nothing left to sacrifice. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The wrath of God, he's kind of talking about the end times, like the final day of judgment when, when God will right all wrongs and it will punish evil and punish rebellion against him. So, so this is kind of how the argument goes that, that Paul is making. Imagine if Jeff Bezos has been listening into your Alexa and your phone. He's been gathering some data on you, right? And he knock-knock shows up to your apartment one day and he goes, hey, my name's Jeff, what's up? Um, I've been watching you. Big Brother's always watching, right? And I, I really think you're something special. And, and in fact, you, you weren't expecting this, but I want you to inherit my entire fortune. That's right. Like, starting today, my bank account is your bank account. I'm, I'm your rich uncle, I got your back right now, and when I die, everything I have is yours. It's yours. Okay. First off, shock, like, wait, you were listening? What, to everything? Ooh, okay. And then it's like, whoa, good shock. Okay, am I still living in Kirkwood Courts? Like, am I, can I move out of there? But, but imagine if a week later you crashed your car. What's the first phone call you're gonna make? Uncle Jeff, right? Come on, Hefe. Imagine if, imagine if all of a sudden you were like, yeah, but I mean, I know he said I was going to get everything, but it was just like a week ago and I crashed my car and I don't know if he's going to pay for it. So maybe, maybe I'll just take out a loan to buy a new car and we'll kind of see, we'll see what happens because I shouldn't have crashed it and it was too late and I was tired and I know. Like, 
Imagine if that's what you did and you never called him. Would he be, A, happy you never called him, or B, kind of annoyed you never called him? What do you think? B, he would be kind of annoyed because he's like, no, everything I have is yours. And and guys, I looked this up. If Jeff Bezos spends $1.7 million, that's like me spending a dollar. Literally, it's insane, right? He bought the Washington Post newspaper for 149 Jeff Bezos dollars, right? Like, he just has a ridiculous amount of money. Him buying you a brand new car is like sneezing and using a tissue, right? It's not a big deal to the guy. That's fine. He would almost maybe even be offended if you didn't call him, right? Like, why didn't you take me up on that? I'm Uncle Jeff. I got this, man. I'll send a drone with a new car tomorrow. I got your back. (laughs) Okay, here's where it gets less funny. Um, The God of the universe sent his son to die for you. And then you and I do this weird thing where we where we look at sin in our life and we start to ask this question, and this question's like really common. Actually, I think all of us have asked this at some point. Like, is God really gonna forgive me in the end? Like, is he really gonna accept me when I, when I get to the finish line? Like, cause I've done some stuff and I knew better and I shouldn't have, but I still sinned. And this even, I, I think, is an experience as you grow in, in, in your faith, where when I first became a Christian, my top three were like, hey, stop saying the F word, every other word. Okay, we've got to work on that. Stop partying. Yep, no one's inviting me in anyway now that I'm a Christian. And, and number three, stop messing around with your girlfriend. All right, it's going to take some time, but we'll work through it. We'll work on it, okay? Th- those are like the big three. And then as I, as I worked on those things and tried to grow in my relationship with God, it, I started to see it wasn't just these behaviors that were the issue. Like, it went deeper than that. And so it wasn't just my, my swearing. It was actually my insecurity around certain groups of people or my anger coming out. It, it wasn't just my, my desire to be with this particular girlfriend, but my lust and my desire to try to find satisfaction in a person instead of God. Like, the, the longer you go in your relationship with God, the more you're going to see it's not just surface behaviors that are the issue, but actually there's stuff in your heart that's ugly, that's sinful, that's unexpected sometimes. Paul, even the guy that wrote this, like through his life says things like, man, I'm the worst of all the apostles, which is like saying I'm the least famous actor in Jumanji 2, right? It's like, okay, still famous, right on, okay, least famous apostle, cool, whatever, man. And then he goes, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm like the worst of all Christians. Still, okay, good crowd to be in, but, but later on in his life, he's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst of all sinners, And it's not that Paul was sinning more through his life, it's that he was having a growing awareness of God's holiness and his own sinfulness. Like, the the closer he got to God, God's light shined on his life and it exposed stuff in him that was not pretty. So so let me just tell you, like, it, it might make sense sometimes if you feel like you're, now that you become a Christian, like, wow, maybe you got some fear about what'll happen at the end. But, but it really only makes sense if you're looking at you and how well you're doing, how disciplined you are, when the last time was you shared the gospel, your battle with purity, your depression, your anxiety. Okay, so again, it, it starts to make more sense if you're looking at you, but it, but it really doesn't make sense if you look at Jesus, which is exactly what Paul is trying to tell us to do here. Again, he says, we've been justified by his blood 
Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, brought back in a relationship with God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we're reconciled, we're in relationship, shall we be saved by his life. God's not going to change the game on you. He didn't love you at one point through Jesus and then all of a sudden go, ah, just kidding, I don't feel that way anymore. He, he didn't pay everything of his wrath into Jesus' final sacrifice and then kind of start storing up a little bit more on the side. That, that's not how it happened. And if you remember, I dumped a bucket of water here like a couple months ago to say the resurrection is the final proof that God has no more wrath for you. Jesus took it all. So again, when we're looking to the future, our fears and our worries might come in when we look at ourselves but Paul is trying to say, when you look at Jesus, actually your fears about God have no place. Not, not like his wrath coming for you, because he told you he finished it. And he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to change the game. He's not going to treat you differently. We saw in the first few verses that a relationship with God begins because of God, and we see a relationship with God ends, it reaches the, the conclusion also because of God, because of his plan to send Jesus, because of the fact that, that your work doesn't enter the equation anymore. It's not about you. It's about him and what he's done to love you. And what Paul is trying to do in verses 9 and 10 is give you some hope. Someone say hope. Don't we need a little hope in the world right now? Amen. Okay. Don't you need hope sometimes when you're looking at sin in your life and you're going, I can't freaking beat this. Don't you need hope when you're so scared to share the gospel with that person that you've known forever because it's going to make things a little weird? Don't you need hope to make the kinds of choices that you know God is inviting you into because he loves you and because they're good for you, but, but you're scared because you've never experienced anything other than what you've been living in? Like maybe there are sins in your life that you've not confessed at connection group or, or confessed to someone else because you're too freaked out to even look at your sin because you're afraid that if you acknowledge it, then God is gonna be furious with you. Like, what is the sin you haven't confessed because you don't even want to, to acknowledge it's there? The God of the universe sees. It is not hidden from him, but it's covered by the blood of Jesus if you've trusted him. Your future belongs to God, and it's based on God's finished work. And he wants to give us hope there. Last point, verse 11. More than that. More than this humility and God working when we were far away, more than this future hope, this peace we have with God forever, more than all of that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Two words I want you to see. Uh, someone say rejoice. rejoice. Say reconciliation. reconciliation. Rejoice means to experience joy, express joy. It's related to the word to enjoy, right? God actually wants you to enjoy him. He wants your faith to be overflowing with joy. Is that what people see in your life? Like overflowing joy. Because it, again, it would be understandable if you were going through a season of frustration, 
Like your plans have changed, like school's a mess, I don't know what I'm doing in the future, all of this stuff is nuts. Maybe even sometimes you felt boredom in your relationship with God. Like, man, I've heard this stuff, I've read this stuff. What I need something, I need something to get me here, and I just I don't get it when I pray. God actually designed you to feel and experience joy in relationship with him now. That's a, a taste of what heaven is going to be like. God actually wants your life to be radically defined by a joy overflowing. And joy is different than happiness, right? You, you've heard this before. Happiness is kind of this up and down, like, yeah, I got a scone. Oh, I don't have a scone anymore, right? Like, like happiness goes up and down in life. But joy is kind of this, this background music that's always playing. It's like this, this level that your life doesn't sink past. Joy can show up in the worst situations because Paul is saying our joy is found in God himself. It's like if you've got a song stuck in your head and when you're not thinking about something in particular, that song comes back up. You know what I'm talking about? You got that song stuck in your head and so often you don't want it. But, but imagine if the song stuck in your head was... Something like, man, God loves me. God knows me. God is with me. God is for me. He proved it. He sent Jesus. Amen. Like, imagine if that was on repeat. If that was the background music of your life. If that was the daily experience of your life, and then you entered into heaven and all the angels are singing, God loves you. He's for you. He's with us. Isn't this awesome? Forever and ever, amen. He's beautiful. A relationship with God isn't a bunch of things that you do for God. It starts with what God did. It ends with what God did. And, and right now, it's an invitation to enjoy him because of what he did. When it says rejoice in God, I, I just, I know, I know there are some times where we can look at Jesus and be like, dude, Jesus is sweet. I love Jesus. He's a cool guy. Holy Spirit, he's kind of wild, but I kind of dig it sometimes, right? Cool, Jesus, Holy Spirit. God, though, like the Father, how you don't know my Father? God the Father, isn't he that Old Testament guy that we don't really talk about, we don't really dig? This was one of the surprising things to me in this passage, that, that Paul puts the emphasis squarely, like over and over and over on God here. And he's not separating out the three persons of the Trinity. He's showing us that we don't have to fear the God that wrote the entire story. Because it was his plan the whole time to draw you in when you were far away. Like the goal is God himself. And that's what Jesus actually wants. He wants you to have a relationship with the Father. And what the Father wants is to show you the Son. And Jesus is the exact imprint, the representation of what the Father's like. So if you love Jesus, man, you're going to love the Father. Joy now, today, because of what God has done. Your relationship with God is because of God. Let me put it this way. Your relationship with God is because of God's work for you. And let me just tack on, not your work for God. I was, I was thinking through application for tonight. I don't even know what my time is supposed to be. When am I supposed to be done? Oh, game on. You didn't want to say that. Um, I, I, was, uh, I had written out application, was praying through application, but um, 
Here's the thing I just want to tell you. God, God wants you to have joy in him. That's not a cheap thing. That's not, that's not just pandering to your emotions. That's actually the experience of Christianity that God designed for you. Now, he's not telling you to ignore your sin or ignore the, the, the brokenness in the world, but there's an invitation to rejoice in him, especially when life sucks and maybe even harder when life is easy. Like maybe he's using this season to actually loosen your grip a little bit on the plans you had for your future and your career path, the things you were trying to grab joy in, to show you that he is rock solid and steady and a source of joy forever. Maybe what you need to do is, is think about your past and how you got saved and repent of the ways that you've made that about how deserving you were of Jesus. Maybe what you need to do is look at your future and actually repent of, of thinking that God is less than he is, that he's worse than he is, that he's meaner than he is. And even repent of, of basing your future hope on your hard work. Maybe you need to look at your life right now and, and repent of trying to find, find joy in stuff that's never going to satisfy you. It might make you happy for a minute, but it's not the joy your heart was built for. And when I say repent, you guys know that repent means turning from and turning to. Turn from those things and turn back to God. The one who loves you and has been pursuing you this whole time when you didn't even know it. And again, I'm just, maybe there's sin you need to confess that you've been hiding for so long because you're too freaked out. Find a connection group leader, find someone on staff and, and confess that to them and let them point your eyes back to Jesus, the Father, the, through the work of the Spirit as they, as they lift your eyes off of your work on Him. How would your life be different if the background song that was stuck in your head was, God knows me, and he loves me, and he's for me, for now and forever? How would your life be different if you had a confidence and a hope in God and his work? How would you fight sin differently if you had that kind of freedom? Freedom to run hard after him. How would you share the gospel differently if you knew that if God could save you, he can save anyone? If God can save you when you're so far away, who can he not save? I think some of you would move overseas for the rest of your life. To start, right? Or, or maybe this, some of you could wake up tomorrow and, and start to read your Bible and pray that God would help you see him instead of just yourself there. We're going to respond to God in worship. And we're going to sing to God about God. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm inviting you to enjoy him tonight. Let these words be a prayer of celebration and joy to the one who, who from eternity past designed reality for him to send his son to prove his love to people that don't deserve it and, and give us a future and a hope. That's better than we can put words to. That's the God we're going to sing to together. Come on up, Nils. Why are you hiding over there? Let me, let me pray for us, and, and we're going to worship this God together. And I want you to sing loud. Let's pray. God, you love us. 
And you don't love us because we're worth it, worthy of your love. You don't love us because we're lovely. You love us because that's who you are. That's what you're like. You are so good. You are so kind that you would look at people who are your enemies, that rejected you, that ran away from you, that tried to find joy in everything else, and you saved us. You've promised that if Jesus paid for it, it's paid for, it's finished, it's done. So you've given us a hope in your character and your promises that can last through any sin and any struggle and any failings on our part because Jesus, you're spotless. And today, whatever we're going through, we can rejoice in you. We can find a well of joy in you. That's almost too good to be true. But you said it was true and you accomplished it so that it would be. Give us joy, please, Jesus. Make the background song of our life one of joy as we look to the Father. All this we pray in your name.